0: This audio fiction is recorded for an adult audience. It may contain scenes of explicit sex, violence and disturbing supernatural entities. Listener discretion is recommended. Come, lend me your ear, as I speak to you of the macabre, the cursed, the maligned, the malignant, the possessed, and the downright demonic. Bolt all doors, lock all windows, are you alone, are you sure? I suggest you check under the bed, carefully, twice. Episode 18 of Baratanak, The Daughter of the Underworld. Book 1 of Fitzmarbury Witches. blasted their trumpets in procession beyond the temple walls, as the priestess scoured her memory in hope of identifying the obscured, black-eyed bargain-bringer. With whoops and grunts, mandrills gawked from the lofty battlements at the broad-backed beasts and their riders below. Disturbed doves launched straight from sleep into the baking air. The sharp slap of their wings echoed from the walls around Emishmoon and the trespassing merchant. She flinched, long-trained to be ready for combat at any sudden sound. As a natural warrior of little conscience, Emishman's vital militant role at the vanguard of the faith had been witnessed by thousands of citizens beyond the walls of the great temple, where the painted pachyderms now proudly paraded. Though, to her knowledge, none of that rabble possessed a clue to her infamous origins, of which the merchant before her had made unsettling mention. Though the residents of Carthage were drawn from within and beyond the Empire, it was a point of pride for the city that she, the most gifted guard at the great temple, was a home-grown native and unmatched by any foreigners among her brethren. A saintly smile would grace her face when people joked that she surely must have fallen, mid-battle, from between the legs of some Amazonian warrior from deepest Libya. They would soon bay for my blood if they knew I was from what they call the deepest demonic fleepit of the spirit lands, she thought. It was little wonder she was so esteemed, as even by the tender age of thirteen, she had proven to be the finest temple student of all martial arts practiced in Carthage, both in terms of ceremonial representation and in brutal application. Whether it was on horseback, hand-to-hand combat, or with any weapon, she had an unrivalled and much-respected agility. It was at that same age of 13 that one night she found herself alone with Kaskatak, the head scribe of the temple. The slovenly man lived only for scrolls, gold and wine, and gossip. It was he who encouraged her to go to the markets, disguised. She was just one of his spies. If anyone needed to know which way the wind was blowing, they sought the confidence of Kaskatak. If a pigeon farts, I will know before the bird smells it, he would boast. She kept his company more than other priests. He was utterly impotent and had never groped her. Furthermore, he routinely collapsed into slumber after imbibing copious jugs of wine hours before the ringing of the midnight bell. At that time she delighted in poring over the scrolls he guarded, studying them into the small hours, and then dancing back to her quarters, under the moonlight, listening while the mandrills howled to the stars for their lost forests. The subjects of her candlelight curiosity included the illicit scroll collection the cribe covetously concealed behind a secret panel at the foot of his shelves. All had been acquired through his spy network, misappropriating temple donations. She replaced them exactly as she found them, so he was none the wiser. Kaskatak was one of the diminishing number of senior temple priests aware of the details of Emishmoon's birth. When she told him how the people beyond the walls made light of her supposed Amazonian provenance, he smirked, his sweaty brows shining in the candlelight. "'The rabble may make mirth of your prowess, novice,' he said, drooling between slurps of raisin wine from his golden goblet. "'But they wouldn't know an Amazon from a fishwife or a blood-drinking Hecate.' A land that revels in burning children alive can hardly derive the mere drinking of blood, a paltry act by comparison, she thought, ruminating on Cascatac's words. Not once did she ever air such treasonous thoughts publicly, making sure to visibly embrace all the Carthaginian traditions without restraint, as if she were born to them. No, Casketat continued, they think you are born as Carthage royalty, not dragged here from the witchlands of some forgotten fringe of Egypt. "'So ashamed, Brother Kaskatak,' she told him, crestfallen and conflicted. "'I feel deceitful. "'From their rotten mouths the peasants praise my boldness "'and the glint of my steel, "'but they falsely cheer for their own blood, not mine.' "'Her heart felt so empty. "'I wish I had been born pure,' she thought, "'inwardly cursing her origins, the vein of shame true and broad. "'Why would they ever cheer for blood such as your own?' "'Infected as it is with Baal knows what. "'Be grateful the temple sourced you and took you in. "'Had your origins not been so tainted, "'you would likely have been burned in the toffet ovens immediately. "'There was not a single blemish on your entire physical body, "'a worthy sacrifice indeed, but for your genesis.' "'But to be sacrificed to Baal is a great honor. she boasted, "'puffing up her chest in knee-jerk bravado.' There were many times when she felt Kaskatak was calibrating her responses. I would gladly slide myself down into the ovens if only I was worthy. You may yet die in Baal's cause, child. Fret not. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode then please subscribe. I must leave you now, but do not despair. If you listen to the next instalment, the curse cannot harm you, but you must believe. Now pull the blanket over your head and be quiet. You are not alone. Shh.